It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. News Podcast presents Brett Baer's All-Star Panel. America's got to be in the lead if you want to deal with these threats. We're going to lead. The morning is over. The shiva is done. And if you're a conservative, you should be optimistic. You know, my main priority right now is making sure that it delivers for the American people. We have to make our country great again, and I will do that. I think the president gets criticized by people all the time for the stuff he says, by people who ignore what he does. Now, Fox's chief political anchor, Brett Baer. The White House is facing continued scrutiny after President Biden's son, Hunter, attended a state dinner for Indian Prime Minister Modi. The same week, he pled guilty to charges of tax evasion. White House continuing to dodge questions on the specifics when it comes to the president's son. What message is the president trying to send um, to the American people when he invites his son to the state dinner and Camp David, as we saw this past weekend, amid everything he's going through? Every president of the United States has invited their family to state dinner. This president also has a family. Uh, He is no different. And um, beyond that, I'm just not going to engage on this. As the race for the Oval Office advances, more Republicans are entering the race, such as Miami Mayor Francis Suarez and former Texas Congressman Will Hurd, announcing late last week, while former President Donald Trump still holds commanding leads in the polls despite mounting legal troubles. For a conversation on this and more, we bring in our panel, Chief Political Correspondent for the Washington Examiner and Fox News contributor Byron York. Washington Bureau Chief for USA Today, Susan Page, and Politico Congressional Reporter Olivia Beavers. Susan, let me start with you on this, um, on the Trump situation with this new audio tape that has been released by CNN, said to be this moment uh, that is cited in the indictment uh, from the special counsel, Jack Smith, of handling classified documents uh, and talking about it. And it's listed in the indictment. I had uh, a Q&A with the former president about this. And he said, I did nothing wrong. They were all different. There was no one document. And his answer to me was, listen, it, it was a bunch of papers, newspaper clippings, other things. Wasn't one classified document. Sounds well, differently this, in this yeah, audio tape. The audio tape, and I understand the president, former president knew he was being recorded, uh, puts it makes it sound as though he was misrepresenting the re- truth to you because he clearly identifies a document that he says is secret, that he acknowledges he can no longer declassify because he's no longer president. So it shows an understanding of a situation that could be extremely damaging when they go to trial. Uh, and I'm sure that is something the prosecutor, it, as my understanding is this was an, a, a critical piece of evidence as the prosecutors decided to go forward uh, with their investigation. Byron, what is the defense? I mean, he's asked about it in the trail in New Hampshire, in which he said, I did nothing wrong. There wasn't anything wrong that I did. Well, that's the defense. He maintains uh, that the Presidential Records Act basically gives him the authority as a president leaving office uh, to take anything he wants. 
And uh, that's just all there is to it. He, he's not saying as much what he used to say, which was that as president, he had declassified all this stuff. Uh, and in fact, in the recording, you hear him saying that uh, he could have declassified it when he was president, but he didn't. And he can't now as the president. And I think I think what you're going to see is I think there's a little bit of a trend now among uh, some uh, conservatives and Republicans who are maybe not necessarily huge Trump fans who are saying, look, the case is what it is. The evidence against him is strong. It's just a case that never should have been brought. They're not saying that Trump is innocent. They're not saying he didn't take classified information. They're saying uh, indicting a former president is just a bad idea and it should have been handled in another way. But I don't think there are going to be a lot of people saying, well, gosh, he didn't uh, mishandle classified information. Right. And Olivia, what is the fallout on the Hill? I mean, are Republicans in defense mode on this or are they kind of saying it is what it is? It sort of echoes what what Byron just said, um, Brett, in terms of saying, oh, you know, Donald Trump is always treated unfairly. At least this is a perspective from House Republicans. You know, they talk about the New York Manhattan charges uh, related to Stormy Daniels, and then they point to this and, and say, oh, they'll do anything to stop him. Um, but like you pointed out, audio always makes things stronger. And why deny it in his interview with you when this audio could then come back and, and, and bite him? So it seems like this has definitely tripped up his argument that he he didn't do this. And, and we're seeing a shifting perspective, um, or at least narrative, of how Republicans coming to his defense want to handle it. What Republicans do say, Susan, is the two-tiered system of justice they see and they point to the Hunter Biden investigation and these whistleblowers coming out with very specific information about how they believe and have evidence of investigations being thwarted or information not being followed uh, by the special counsel. Right. And of course, the the uh, the U.S. attorney says that investigation is continuing. So maybe this will get pursued. It, you know, th but the reality is there's been a long investigation into Hunter Biden. He's now faced, he's pleaded guilty to two tax misdemeanors. Uh, he's reached a deal on a gun charge, uh, felony gun charge that won't, means he won't go to jail. And I think, I think Republicans are frustrated that they haven't found more important allegations uh, to pursue in a court of law against Hunter Biden. But on the other hand, no, no question this continues to be a problem uh, for the White House, at least of the optics of, of Hunter Biden in um, his various travails. It is something, Byron, to go back and listen to President Biden answer questions about whether he talked about or knew about the business dealings of his son. And he's pretty declarative, pretty definitive about with his answers. That said, if you read the specifics on the whistleblower's transcripts, there, there's a lot in there. Well, the, the president has been that way all along. Um, and one of the whistleblowers uh, produced a July 30th, 2017 WhatsApp uh, message uh, that you've reported and many people have talked about uh, in which Hunter Biden was apparently trying to pressure a Chinese businessman to come up with some money that Hunter Biden thought he was owed. And he said, I'm sitting right next to my father. He is here with me. And if you don't give us the money, it's going to be really bad for you. That's a paraphrase. Uh, but that's what he was saying, that Joe Biden was physically there with him. 
Now, uh, a lot of Democrats have pointed out, well, look, it's 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 a WhatsApp message. Uh, it doesn't tell you if that's really true. Maybe Hunter Biden was just saying that. Uh, but the fact is, as you suggested, there's a lot more than just that in the whistleblower testimonies. Got to remember, there are two whistleblowers. There's one who's come out by name, Gary Shapley, who was the um, uh, supervisor of the Biden investigation for the IRS. And then there's an anonymous whistleblower, uh, whistleblower number two, who is the lead case investigator for the uh, for the IRS. And he has a lot of hands on uh, knowledge uh, about the case, and he discusses it at length in the transcript, which hasn't gotten enough attention. But in my opinion, it shows some clear examples of tax evasion on Hunter Biden's part. I should point out that I'm sitting down with IRS supervisory agent Gary Shapley uh, in an interview that will air Wednesday on Special Report. Olivia, um, this is something that Republicans will talk about. Democrats say it's it's over. This is about uh, a son that is wayward. He had drug problems. It's about a love of uh, from his father and that the country should just move on from this. No, I mean, I think these IRS whistleblowers breathe new life into Republican investigations. I was asking some what happens next after they gave testimony and they were talking about, you know, providing the documents and testimony to the Oversight Committee or the Judiciary Committee as they move forward with their Hunter Biden investigation. And there's another large part that came from the IRS whistleblower, which were claims that um Weiss, the head investigator into Hunter Biden's business dealings, that he didn't have the authority um, to basically do any sort of prosecution and that a uh, Matthew Graves, who's a D.C. U.S. attorney, didn't have um, had basically said he would not file charges against Hunter Biden. Now, the DOJ and Weiss have both denied that, but it's getting into this whole question of who had authority to do what. And Republicans will definitely be investing that investigating that avenue. Now, one thing that Democrats were saying after these whistleblowers came forward and, and Republicans were touting what they found was um, Richard Neal, the Ways and Means ranking member, said these were not vetted before they were brought out. So that's sort of their defense on that end. Panel, we'll hold it right there. Cudlow on Fox Business is now on the go for podcast fans. Get key interviews with the biggest business newsmakers of the day. The Cudlow Podcast will be available on the go after the show every weekday at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. All right, on the uh, presidential election, Susan, clearly the former president's still in the poll position. We don't know how all of these legal troubles are going to affect or if they're going to affect. So far, they've only kind of supercharged his numbers, uh, going up five points. Uh, and Governor DeSantis, his closest challenger, has seen a bit of a stumble in places like New Hampshire. Yeah, it's it's true. On the other hand, you got to assume that being indicted multiple times is, in the long run, not a positive if you're <laughs> running for president. And that apparently it's extremely appealing to run for president because, boy, this GOP field has gotten big and with some names that we didn't think we would see in see, see uh, like Will Hurd, for instance, the former congressman from Texas. And what that says to me is, number one, maybe it, maybe it is fun to run for president. But number two, these challengers, even the long shots like Tim Scott and Nikki Haley, they see a possibility that Trump is not going to be the nominee again. And there is a ways to go before he 
before he nails it down and we see the long-term consequences of all these legal actions, including indictments that we may not have seen yet. It is interesting, some of these folks getting into the race, Miami Mayor uh, Suarez uh, getting into the race and starting to do interviews. Um, Byron, he, he gave an interview to Hugh Hewitt on the radio. And Hugh, as you know, is uh, very into foreign policy. And he asked him if he was going to talk about the Uyghurs in his campaign at all. And uh, Suarez had no clue what that meant. Uh, it kind of went back and forth. He thought it was the Weebles. Um, the Uyghurs are the Muslim minority group in uh, in China that's persecuted and obviously the center of a lot of uh, human rights talks when it comes to China and businesses dealing with China. But that is one of the things that can trip you up if um, you're a mayor of a big city and not focused on foreign policy. True. And that's, that's a great thing that Hugh Hewitt uh, does and has done for a long time, which is ask uh, very basic questions to presidential candidates. Sometimes they don't know uh, what they're uh, talking about. I think Donald Trump actually tripped up on the triad that is the nuclear, nuclear triad, triad. defense policy. But, you know, um, everybody uh, uh, here on this podcast is very well informed. Does, does anybody really know why Will Hurd is running for president? I mean, I, I, I don't completely get it, uh, although I will say that in a lot of cases, uh, people who are extreme long shots, running for president leaves them in a better place in life or in their career than they were before they ran for president. If you could look at Pete Buttigieg, who was the former mayor of South Bend, Indiana, had no business running for president. He's also 37 years old. And he ran and did well in Iowa and did pretty well after that. And now he's a secretary of transportation and Democrats speak of him seriously as a presidential contender. So uh, it, it may not work out this race, but who knows what can happen in the future if you impress some people when you run for president. Yeah, Olivia, Will Hurd, a congressman, former congressman from Texas, um, mm -hmm. seen as a moderate uh, former CIA officer, uh, big on foreign policy, uh, not big on former President Trump, and obviously feels compelled to get in the race for that reason, I guess. Yeah, I, you know, I think we've been hearing, I used to cover Will Hurd, we've been hearing talk about him running for president for a long time, long before he launched. I think he's always viewed himself as an alternative pick. He he didn't always for, fully fit into the House GOP, and he's sort of trying to offer a different different path for the presidential election. But like Byron said, there's there seems to be a lot of upside for running, even if you don't, you know, land in the in the White House, you might get a, an ambassadorship, a book deal. Um, some are talking about reality TV shows. So there is a lot of incentive, even though they're going to deny that that's why they're running. Um, if if the presidential race doesn't pick up or they don't, you know, land with a cabinet plum position that um, Buttigieg and others that we saw in 2016 did. So I think that that's something to keep an eye out for. Susan, I'm moderating the first uh, presidential debate alongside Martha McCallum in Milwaukee, August 23rd. There are the party is running the who ends up on the stage uh, and they've sent out guidelines and it's a, m a number of things, including 40,000 individual donors, 1% in the polls. Um, you've got to get over some hurdles to get on the stage. And there could be a number, you know, whether it's six or 12, uh, there'll be a lot of Republicans on that stage. First of all, Greg, congratulations on that. Uh, it's a big honor, um, and I know you'll do great. Um, secondly, I have a question for you. Uh, 
Donald Trump will qualify to be on stage. Are you certain that Donald Trump will show up to debate on stage? So I asked him that in that interview, and uh, he said he hasn't made up his decision yet. Uh, why should I? Why should I get on a stage? He said, if I'm 40, 50, he likes to say 55 points up. I'm not sure he's there in the polls, but he is up definitely 40 in some polls. Um, and he questions why he should go. He said on a hostile network. That's what he calls Fox now. Um, and then the news side, obviously, we're just asking questions that uh, everybody would ask. I think my personal feeling is that by the time we get to August 23rd, um, that he it will be sort of like a bug zapper in the backyard where the flies cannot go by because the spotlight is too big. And I think, and I don't know, that the former president will will probably be on the stage. But it's it, you know it's always a possibility that he would choose not to be. And obviously, the people who are on the stage would make a big deal out of that. He chose back in 2015, uh, after the first debate, which we did, uh, it was Megyn Kelly and me and Chris Wallace, some 26 million people tuned into that. Uh, but we had the second debate in Iowa. And... Um, then Donald Trump, the businessman, decided he he was not going to do that because he didn't feel like he was treated fairly uh, in the first debate. So uh, he didn't show. But then he showed for the third uh, third debate. So I'm not sure, Susan, but I think uh, it'll be interesting no, no matter what happens. Well, I'm betting on him showing up. Uh, I like the image that you you conveyed there um, because it'll be a it'll be a moment where the campaign will be really engaged. And so it's hard for me to imagine him staying away. I sure hope he shows up because I would like to hear what he has to say. Yeah. And his interaction, you know, first of all, you have to give the former president credit, Byron. He sat for that interview with me for an hour and he answered all the questions. Some of them were tough. But at the end, he said he said it was tough but fair. Um, he he answers questions and is pretty good and has a pretty good track record of, of winning if you look at the people that look at these moments on debate stages. And so you would think that that might fall into his uh, toolbox. Absolutely. He's very, very accessible. He was accessible as president. I, I wonder about your image of the bug zapper, because, of course, the bugs are killed when they oh, succumb yeah, yeah. to I'm just saying drawn to it. I'm not saying being killed by it. Coming to the light. Yeah, yeah. Um, but but listen, he 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 thrived in the debates in 2016 uh, because even then there was a stature gap between him and the other candidates. He he just seemed bigger than the other candidates. Now that's going to be even more pronounced because he's a former president of the United States, and a, and a lot of Republicans will look at him and they'll see the White House and Air Force One and and all of that stuff. Um, so I I agree with you. I think on. On the one hand, his his um, feeling will be, why do I need to get on the stage with all these little guys? And indeed, he did skip a debate in Iowa right before the Iowa caucuses in 2016, which might have cost him the Iowa caucuses. Uh, and then the other is that just temptation to get on there and just slug away uh, because he seems to take uh, some of the delight in slugging, um, swinging at Ron DeSantis the way he did against Jeb Bush back in 2016. So if I had to bet, I would bet that he would be there. Yeah. And Olivia, that's the thing is that uh, you can't really you can't really project 
where we're going to be at that point in the polls, in the moment, how many legal troubles he's facing, whether he feels it's necessary to get get on that stage. But clearly, anybody else who's on that stage needs the moment uh, with, you know, the rest of the fall and before we get into the actual voting. Certainly. And, you know, if Donald Trump does decide to boycott as the number one, he might be facing a lot of attacks that he wouldn't be able to respond to. But Brett, as you were just pointing out, the amount of times I've heard um, the comparison that at one point uh, Jeb Bush was the leader at this point in the presidential race um, and how things completely got shook up after that is a sign that these horse races, things change really quickly and, and debates are one way where we watch who rises and who falls. Um, I do want to point out that I think one um, example was not the primary, but the general where Republicans thought that Donald Trump really hurt himself in a debate with 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 Joe Biden, especially when there was a moment where he was going after Hunter Biden when Joe Biden was talking about his son having drug issues. and. A few Republicans after that have pointed out to me that they thought that that's where Donald Trump, they thought, had lost his his um, his ability to win that race. So there is definitely upsides and downsides, but we're still still in the primary. But that was one moment where they thought it really hurt him. That is true. That is true. And that's a whole different question. Once we get to the general election, whoever the nominees are, whether that debating structure is the same uh we're going to see how that all rolls out and how the parties react to it uh panel thank you so much now for a bit of history on june 27 1914 archduke franz ferdinand the heir to the austro-hungarian throne was assassinated in sarajevo by serbian dissidents that assassination led to austria-hungary declaring war on the kingdom of serbia creating a domino effect of secret alliances that would spark the First World War. The death and destruction caused during the global conflict led to the founding of the League of Nations in 1920 with the mission of maintaining world peace. It did not maintain that for that long after that, however. That'll do it for this week. You can hear more of this series at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Make sure to leave a rating and a review. We all want to hear from you. For Byron, Susan, and Olivia, I'm Brett Baer. We'll see you next time. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. The Will Cain Show is now dropping five episodes a week. Join Fox and Friends weekend host Will Cain as he tackles the latest headlines from his unique perspective, along with thought-provoking interviews with leading figures and live calls from viewers and listeners. Listen wherever you download your favorite podcasts.